Okay, so uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. You can go ahead and flip there or get there on your device. Um, this is, we're in, a, we're in a series called True Story. It's funny, I wake up on Sundays and go, hey, we're still in Luke. <laughs> um, this is week 30. This is week 30 in Luke. I think we're on, we're on pace to smash the record for longest week, most weeks in a book ever at the gathering. Um, but I want to encourage you with this. I mean, I don't want you to, I, I get ADD. I've probably got ADD more than anybody in the room. But um, one thing that we learn when we take our time to go through a book like this is you don't have to, f- to make the Bible relevant to where you are. It is relevant, right? And I, I know, because I've, I've heard stories from you, I know some of you, you'll, you've come in and you've got things going on or something's happening in the world. And then whatever we're in that day in Luke, you'll, you'll come to me and go, I can't believe how much that spoke to right where I was. Because the Bible is life, right? It's alive. It's living. And I want to encourage you. Don't ever feel like, God, like how much longer till we're done with Luke, right? I mean, Luke has been powerful. It's been an amazing journey so far. And so this morning, we're in the last half of chapter 9. Um, there's a city in America. I don't know how many years back they did this, but they started a marketing campaign. And it, I would say from the outside looking in, I'm not from that city, but I would say it was wildly successful I mean they, they've easily gotten the return on their money so much so that um that I'm in, in just a minute I'm preparing you because you're, you're not going to want to do this because you ever like felt like you wanted to say something and you thought everybody would say it with you and then you were the only one that said it you ever, and that's an awful feeling right or is it just me because I'm an introvert it's just me okay so I, apparently everybody's okay being embarrassed but you're, you're going to think, I don't want to do what he's going to ask me to do, but I'm just encouraging you to do it, okay? Because you're going to be, this, you're going to know this. You are going to know this. The marketing was so successful that they came up with a phrase. And, and when I say the first half of the phrase, you're going you're gonna to be able to say loudly and with confidence, so loud and so confident that people that listen to the podcast later are going to hear your voice. They're going to hear you because you're going to know this. So you're going to know this. Turn to the person next to you and say, we got this. That was horrible. Turn to the other person and say, we got this better than the people that I said we got this with. So, so are you ready? I mean, again, you're going to know this. It's from a city in America. I'm giving you lots of hints. I've never been there. Some of you may have. But when I say the first half, I want you to, with confidence, with confidence, shout back the rest of the slogan. Are you ready? What happens in Vegas... See, that's, that's the beauty of marketing. I mean, they've gotten so much of their money out of that marketing strategy. The problem is it's 100% not true. It worked. I mean, they got our attention, right? And everybody wants to go to Vegas. But it's 100% not true when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is, is a statement that's all about compartmentalizing our lives. And it sounds like a really good plan, doesn't it? I'm going to get together with my, my friends, and I'm going to leave my life behind, my boring life in Albemarle, and we're going to hop on a plane, and we're going to go to Vegas. And I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing, and no one's ever going to know. Because what happens in Vegas, Vegas. <clears throat> but it's not true. It's a really good slogan for how to mess up your life, right? Because Jesus is not about compartmentalizing our lives. He's not about having a work life, a church life, a school life a whatever life. He's about having a Jesus life. He's about 
letting his presence spill over into and consume every area of our lives. I was talking with somebody this week and we were talking about the difference between American Christianity. We say it like there's a different brand of Christianity, but you know what I'm saying. Like Christianity is Christianity. But uh, Christians in America and how different we tend to be from Christians in other parts of the world. And if you've been on a mission trip, what I'm about to say, you'll be like, oh yeah, I see that. In America, what we tend to do is we say, you know, I've got all these things in my life and I'll just add Jesus to the list. But in other parts of the world, Jesus is the list. That's the difference. That's why they have powers that sometimes we don't have. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Might be a good slogan, but it's totally opposite of what Jesus wants for us. And what we're going to find, um, we won't read all these, but we're going to be in uh, verses 37 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 62. What we'll find is that the disciples actually tried to live the Vegas slogan. Even before Vegas knew it was a slogan, they were trying to live what happens in one place stays in that place. And so what I'm hoping happens this morning is that we'll learn from their mistake, right? I use this all the time. A wise man learns from his mistakes. A wiser man learns from somebody else's mistake, right? So we would like to learn from their mistake about what not to do, how not to live the Christian life because they're going to make a ton of mistakes in the last half of this chapter they lived like what happens in the cloud stays in the cloud but it doesn't it shouldn't ever what happens in the cloud should never stay in the cloud so here, here's your big idea today what happens in the cloud doesn't stay in the cloud it's just the anti-vegas slogan right what happens in the cloud does does not stay in the cloud when we truly buy into that truth, here's what's going to happen. You and I will become carriers of God's presence. Now, typically, we gather on Sundays, and we have church, and we worship, and that's a good thing. And God moves, typically. And there are some churches where he can't get to. I'm sure he's trying. I'd like us to be a church where he feels comfortable and is invited, and he likes to be a part of it. We let him take the service. But he, he meets us here you know, this morning in worship, some of you probably felt like, man, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with him right now. Like, God's here. I can sense his presence. We typically relate that to Sundays, okay? I'm just talking the way I was raised in church. So Sundays is God's day, right? You ever heard that phrase? So what does that make Monday through Saturday? Well, for most people, the devil's days, right? But that's not the way it's supposed to be. What happens in the cloud, and when I say cloud, I'm talking about the glory of God. I'm talking about the presence of God. And we typically equate that with Sunday. What happens in those moments is not supposed to stay there. It's supposed to impact the other six days as well. You with me? You get that? That's really good preaching, right? You were just telling somebody next to you that I, can, I could sense it. So um, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to try to help you see what a life looks like when we don't try to keep God's glory in a box. When we don't try to keep him limited to a Sunday. And we're going to learn it all through the disciples, the mistakes that they made. Um, what we're going to see is this. When we try to keep what happens in the cloud in the cloud. There's four stories that come after this, the, the transfiguration that Adam preached about last week. And I, I found five things. I'm always finding things right in the Bible. I found five things that we can fall for. Five dangers, five uh, whatever you want to call them. They're not good things. Things that can happen in our lives if we try to keep 
what happens in the cloud in the cloud. Okay, you with me? Uh, I don't know if you are or not, but I'm going to go with it. Here we go. Here's number one. And these are all negative. You're not supposed to do that. So I'm, I'm preaching, I'm breaking all the preaching rules, okay? These are all negative. And I'm supposed to give you positives. So I'm trusting that you're smart and that you can take what I say negatively and you can flip it in your brain somehow and make it a positive for your life. I'll help you at the end. But so don't get caught up in that, okay? Because what happens in the cloud doesn't stay in the cloud. What I'm saying to you is if what happens in the cloud, if we live and let it stay in the cloud, if we compartmentalize our lives, here's five dangers that we could experience, okay? So they're all negative. Just give me grace. Here's the first one. We're starting strong. Holy cow. Our faith will fail. You can't get any more negative than that. But we see it. We see it. They come down from the mountain, right? They come down from the mountain. And we're verse 37. It says, the next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Um, just real quick disclaimer. This is not in the notes, just so you know. Christians who are all about the presence of God and never want to be bothered by people are not Christians. Huh, that was strong. Jesus didn't say, we'll just hang up here with like this amazing experience and never, never go down to the common people, right? That's not Jesus. Jesus, they came down from the mountain and there was a crowd waiting for them. And he was okay with that. All right? So we're never going to be those people that are just all about, oh, give me the glory, give me the glory. That's, there's a place for that. It's called heaven. We're not there yet. Okay? So until we get to heaven, we need to have the presence of God. We need to be in the cloud, have the glory of God. It needs to change us. But then what we're going to find is we need to take that somewhere, right? What happens in the cloud should be taken to the crowd. Okay? And so here's what we see. They come down, and there's a large crowd. And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and it is destroying him. Okay? So here's the part I want you to see. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Hashtag fail, right? The disciples failed. What part of the disciples failed? Next verse. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long Shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Now, that'll just totally blow up the whole nice Jesus picture, right? Jesus is like, look, and I don't think he's looking at the father, saying to the father, how long do I have to put up with you? He's not beating the father up for coming to him. I think he's looking at his disciples, like, seriously? You asked my disciples and they couldn't do this? How long? Oh, unbelieving generation. The disciples' faith failed. They just, three of them had just been on top of the mountain. Peter, James, and John had just seen the glory of Jesus. Like they saw the Jesus light show. And here they are, and a, a father's bringing a son, and they've, they've got nothing. They, they don't even know what to do. And, and, and there will be times that we don't know what to do, but here's what makes me even more frustrated with the disciples in this moment. They didn't bring the man and the boy to Jesus and say, um, Jesus, help. We've been praying. We can't pull it off. They... they I don't know if they were embarrassed. I don't know if they were afraid of what Jesus might say. But they didn't even bring the man to Jesus. The father had to go to Jesus and say, I went to your disciples and nothing. Here's what I think happens sometimes. We see Jesus one way in church, in his glory, in those moments with God. 
but we don't actually bring that Jesus to the other parts of the world, other parts of our life. We, we almost fall so in love with the presence of God, the chill bumps that come with that, that we don't actually fall in love with God. I think the disciples, when the, the father brought the son, maybe what they were thinking was, oh, God, I would just rather be on the mountain right now. And I think that's the attitude that makes Jesus look at us and say, oh, generation of no faith, how long will I have to put up with you? I'm not just a mountain Jesus. I'm an everywhere Jesus. How long do I have to put up with you? If we try to separate the presence of God, the glory of God, the cloud from the crowd, ultimately our faith will fail. Here's the second one. We'll allow mystery to keep us from intimacy. Let me explain. I think sometimes, and I I grew up in church, so this is true of me, it might not be true of you. I think sometimes I, I began to genuinely believe that if I got close enough to Jesus, I would understand everything about him. How many runners do we have in, in the house? Athletes, anybody? Oh, raise your hand, be proud. Come on. You ever notice, you ever, are, you ever train for something and you start saying to yourself, if I do this enough, it'll get easy? Right? It's a lie. It's a lie because you're always pushing yourself. There's a lie in Christianity that says this, if I really love Jesus, the more I love Jesus, the more I'm around his presence, the more I will understand him. No. Here's how we know. Check this out. While the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. (laughs) Oh, man. Wouldn't you just love to live this? Wouldn't it be cool? I mean, can you just imagine? We read the Bible, and we we read the weird right out of the Bible, don't we? This would be like me talking to you right now and then like somebody's walking up the aisle and a demon attacks them and they fall down and they're convulsing. Like that's what's going on, right? So I don't know how you would react. I'm thinking a parting of the people, right? But what does Jesus do? I just rebuked the evil spirit. Healed the boy. Gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at his greatness. Just a typical day with Jesus, right? While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said this to his disciples. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. Now, I, was gonna, I wanted to rag them for not understanding. But it says right after that, it was hidden from them. They did not grasp it. And so there are things, listen, there's some things that we'll never understand about God. Can I just... I don't know if this is going to set you free or if it's going to frustrate you more. There are things that you will never understand about God. Never. Everybody say never. 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 But what they did was they, they were afraid of that. And so they didn't even ask about it. I would say this. There are things that we will never understand about God, but it shouldn't make us stop asking. But maybe we should expect that maybe the answer is going to be, you're not going to understand that. But they were afraid to even ask. So here's what I see here. They allowed questions about God to keep them from intimacy with God. Don't let mystery keep you from intimacy. We were having a conversation this week, me and a friend, and I made this statement. The only relationship... The only relationship that we want to know everything about is God. 
If you knew everything about your spouse, you'd be bored. You date somebody for six months, you're learning nothing new. You're sitting there staring at each other, not even talking. And you're like, how do I break up? We love mystery in the relationship, but not when it comes to God. The most mysterious person that we know, right? We're never going to understand God. The Bible says his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are greater than ours. His, 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 his thoughts are vast. They're beyond comprehension. We'll never understand God. Never let mystery keep you from intimacy. I would say this. Learn to love the mystery of God. And never let unanswered questions keep you from seeking to be with Him. All right, so here's number three. These are the ones that we're all going to relate to right away. After all that happens, right, an argument breaks out among the disciples. That never happens ever in church. Ever. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had them stand beside him. And then he said this to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. We're talking about serving. And when we, when we, sit, when we buy the lie that what happens in the cloud, in the presence of God, in, in corporate worship, in your prayer closet. I know a lot of women have prayer closets right now or prayer carpet squares, or whatever you were able to work out in your house, right? And so what ha- when we buy the lie that what happens in those moments with God stays there, we start to argue over position. These are the same disciples that had either three of them seen Jesus' glory or by now heard about it. I mean, you know, you know Peter, James, and John came down from the mountain. And they're like, when Jesus wasn't looking, I mean, I don't think they'd they'd clued in yet that he could read their thoughts. You know, (laughs) I love that. So they're like getting in little hell. You will not believe what we saw. A dude up on that mountain, like his eyes were glowing, like more than any game we've ever played. I mean, like light was pouring through them out of his ears. I mean, it was crazy. They'd already talked about it. How amazing, how magnificent. Jesus was. And now here they are, just a few days later, already arguing over who's going to be the greatest. Forgetting that Jesus said he'd be betrayed. In some, some of the other um, gospels, it says that when they came off the mountain, and we'll see it in a few moments here in, in Luke as well, that Jesus came off the mountain and he set his face like stone towards Jerusalem. He was resolute. He knew what he came to do. And they were starting to know what he came to do. To give his life as a ransom for many. To lay his life down as the greatest servant we've ever known. And now they're arguing about position. And I'm telling you, when you start to argue about position, and don't think you won't do it because we've all done it and we'll all do it again. When you start to argue over position, stop yourself and ask yourself this question. Have I left what was in the cloud in the cloud? Because if I understand the presence of Jesus in the cloud, if I experience his glory and I carry that with me, I will not argue over position. When we make the cloud a Sunday thing, we argue. But in the glory of God, 
in the cloud, there's only one position, and it's a position of service. Even Peter, like, think back to last week when Adam preached. Great job by Adam last week. Even though Peter got it wrong, and he's like, hey, let's build three houses, right? His heart was something amazing is happening up here on this mountain. I don't think I've ever seen glory like this. And how can I serve the three greater people here? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. How can I serve you? I know, I know what I'll do. Hey, guys, we're good with tools. Let's build a house. His heart was to serve. Because in the, in the cloud, in the glory of God, there's only one position. And it is this. There is one God and everybody else, not him. We serve. We serve. When we don't have that heart, we argue. Those are our only options. We can be an arguing church or a serving church. I'm picking serving. I think that's what we should be. And that only happens when what, what we, we experience in the cloud doesn't stay in the cloud. In the cloud, Peter wanted to serve. And here we are a few verses later. Out of the cloud, he wants to be served. Because he bought the lie that what happens in the cloud stays in the cloud. He bought the Vegas lie. So what happened, number four, what happened when James and John bought the lie? That what happens in the cloud stays in the cloud. This is, this is so real life. I mean, I don't know if you're getting this or not. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching so good right now that I'm loving it. So sometimes preachers preach and it's like, it's so theoretical. You're like, that would never happen to me. But like, so <laughs> Peter, Peter, James, and John, they were with Jesus up on the mountain, right? So I wanted to give them at least some benefit. I wanted to say, you know, all the things that happened after the mountain were the other disciples, the ones that weren't with Jesus. But no, 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 no. Look, verse, verse 51, as, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. Now, you know, Samaritans and Jews did not get along to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now that's not a shock, okay? Samaritans didn't like Jews. So any mention of Jerusalem, it was like somebody that's a Wolfpack fan hearing that you're going to Chapel Hill, they're not gonna like you, okay? Or maybe better Duke in Chapel Hill because state, state, whatever. Listen what happens next. When the disciples, James and John, were James and John on the mountain? Yes, that was an easy one. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? This is you in an amazing church service, and then you get behind slow cars in traffic. Right? And before you can catch yourself, you're like saying all things that you shouldn't say about the person driving. You're not giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're, as, you're, you're not flipping them off, at least not so people would know you're just doing 10 fingers you know you know in your head what you're doing but they don't right you're muttering under your breath you're like come on you're like me when a car almost hits me come on you know don't don't tell me the bible doesn't relate how quickly we can go from glory to gory right just like that this is james and john they're on the mountain. They see the glory of God. And because they didn't bring that back with them, now they want to kill people. They want to kill the people who they see as opposition. 
And so number four is this. If we don't, if we don't bring the cloud with us to the crowd, then we will fight the wrong opposition. They couldn't find any power. This blows my mind. They couldn't find any power for healing that demon-possessed boy. Remember that? Well, I took them to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything with them. But they were willing to muster up the power to call down fire from heaven to kill their opposition. Can you relate to that? I'm so tired. I, I just don't have, the, I don't have the energy to fight it until somebody really ticks you off. And it's like, you got energy to fight. I mean, they, they had no power from God. I cannot get your boy healed. Oh, I'm going to call down fire from heaven. It's like, what? Misappropriation of power, right? Would you agree? I think we have it backwards. They're fighting the wrong opposition. Listen, Ephesians 6, 12. Every woman in here that did the study this summer, you know Ephesians, right? Ephesians 6, 12 says our flesh is not against, our fight's not against flesh and blood. It's, it's not against the people who oppose you. I was joking this morning before church. Somebody, I was in a conversation this past week with somebody, and they just weren't the nicest people. And you know what I did? I just smiled. That's awesome. You just smile, shake your head, thank them for their time, and walk out. Infuriates people. I'm not fighting that person. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers in an unseen world. A real world, but an unseen world. Ephesians 6, 12. And when you're in the cloud, in the presence of God, when you carry that with you and you encounter people who oppose you, you see it differently. You don't fight the wrong opposition. You fight the right opposition. You fight the true enemy behind the person. All right, we've got to wrap this up. Last one. I, I said there were five. I need to set this one up, though. So the last few verses of chapter 9, um, these are about three different men who either, either they came to Jesus and said, we'd like to follow you, or Jesus said to them, come and follow me, okay? But these are not the same disciples, the 12 disciples that follow Jesus, okay? These are different men. So I want to be clear. I understand that Jesus is not talking to the same 12 disciples that he's been talking to so far. There's still something for us to learn in this. And here's what it is. If we separate what happens in the cloud from every other part of our lives, then we'll always look for an out. We'll always look for an out. We'll always look for a reason to not go all in. These three men, they weren't on the mountain. They never saw the glory of Jesus. And it made it easy for them to look for an out. But here's the point that's critical. Only being around Jesus is not enough. It's not enough to make others want to go all in. Like you can be around Jesus and that'll never be enough to convince other people who are around you to go all in with Jesus. But when we've been in his presence, when we carry that from the cloud to the crowd, it changes why we do what we do. It's interesting, again, that Jesus is so practical. These three men 
eventually go away and they don't follow Jesus. Now maybe, you know, we don't know what happened. Maybe later on they came back and followed him. It's possible. But what Jesus kept saying was, they kept saying, hey, I want to follow you, but first let me, but first let me. And he's like, no, no, why don't you put me first? And they didn't do that. And he turns to his disciples, and this is what he says. Last verse of chapter 9. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, fit for service in the kingdom of God. What does that mean for us? Until we see the glory of God, we'll always have an eye for something better. Let me say that again. Until we see the, we really see the glory of God, we'll always have an eye for something better. And when you see him, when you see Jesus, when you see his glory, when you see who he is, when you see his majesty that we sang about this morning, when you see who he really is, there are no other options, no other real options. You're not going to put your hand to the plow and then go, oh, I don't know if I'm, I don't know about this, Jesus. I think I'm going to go back like those three guys did. The people that start with Jesus and don't finish are the people that do church and forget that they are the church. They're the people that come on Sunday and it has no effect on Monday through Saturday. And I'm going to tell you, just if that's you and you're on the fence about church, I wouldn't want to do that either. I wouldn't want to give up an hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday morning that has no impact on the rest of my week. But that's what happens when we take what happens in the cloud and leave it there. But I want to be a part of this when the presence of God's moving and changing me and he fills me with his hope, his grace, his presence and I get to carry this out to school, work, family, when it affects every part of my life, when it affects my trip to Walmart, the grocery store, when I can't get the card at the pump to work, and I'm like, man, I'm in a hurry, God. And then I suddenly realize, wait a second, I'm going to have to go inside. I mean, i got to go interact with a human being who might need grace. It changes, do you see that? It changes everything. What happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. And there are billions, I shouldn't say billions, that's a lot, that's a super exaggeration. Preachers shouldn't exaggerate, right? There's a whole lot of marriages that are ruined because people bought the Vegas lie. You know why? Because it doesn't stay there. A whole lot of marriages got ruined with Ashley Madison because what happens in private does not stay in private. What happens in private it fuels what you take in public. And so what happens in the cloud, when we gather here and we worship, when you're at home, you get up early in the morning and you're praying for your family and you're in the presence of God, what happens in those moments in the cloud does not stay in the cloud. You've got to carry that with you everywhere you go.